Welcome to Mind Matters News. I'm your understanding host, Robert J. Marks. We've been talking to Andrew McDermott. Andrew is a senior fellow and media specialist at the Discovery Institute, and he's written for a bunch of great places like Daily Wire, New York Post, uh, Houston Chronicle, American Spectator, and he is also guest hosted here on Mind Matters News. So we're delighted to have him back, and we're going to continue our discussion from last time. So welcome back again, Andrew. Thank you very much, Bob. We have been talking about Jacques Ellul's concept of technique. And if you would just kind of summarize what technique is in order to bring bring those listening up to date, and then talk about how the phenomena of technique can help us understand our issues with technology today. Yeah, sure. Well, Jacques Ellul, as we said before, is a French sociologist, theologian, and philosopher of technology. I want to get this in because this is kind of cool to me. I'm an engineer, and um, engineers have a big challenge with scientists because it wasn't scientists that put a man on the moon. It was engineers. It wasn't scientists that gave you your cell phone. It was engineers. And there's an area called the philosophy of science, which deals with the philosophy of science. But here you're saying that this Jacques is a philosopher of technology, a philosopher, if you will, of engineering, which is a very, very different thing. So it's nice to see that there is a philosopher of engineering. So I I needed to stick that in there for a self-serving promotion for all of us uh, engineers. And go ahead. I interrupt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's (laughs) a good point to be made and to be brought out here. Well, Elul's lifetime spanned almost the entire 20th century, 1911 to 1994. He wrote books and articles throughout his career on how he saw technology impacting the human adventure, as he calls it. And he comes up with this concept written about in the book, the 1954 book, The Technological Society, uh, and he called it technique. And, you know, at the heart of it, technique is just the practical methods we apply to to do tasks. Uh, There's nothing, you know, uh, controversial about it. But, you know, prior to the Industrial Revolution, you know, humans were shaping these techniques and the techniques were part of their work and it moved slowly at the pace of humankind, you know, as they, as they did their craftsmanship and their workmanship and it was localized, it was various, it developed slowly and it was to do with beauty as well as function, uh, not so much with efficiency. And the industrial revolution sort of changed that you know, as we started replacing human muscle and mind as a source of energy and information, uh, became less to do with the pace of humanity and what, how we wanted our tools to, to look and be, and more pursuing efficiency and the best way to do something. And then machines started, you know, coming into the picture. Uh, so a little opened my eyes to this concept of technique, which I think is a great way to look at how you know, the problems we're having with technology today, just some of the issues we're having, as well as how we can work on those problems. So who controls technique in the modern age? Who controls these methods by which we access things and get things done in the modern age? Well, the short answer is big tech uh, with capital letters. You know, the, the biggest technology companies and even the medium ones joining in with them uh, that govern the way that we access information, connect with other people, entertain ourselves, get news and current events, and live much of our lives, 
you know, shopping, medical, fitness, mental health, recreation. There's so much involved with an online digital life now. And we have to realize that these big tech companies are governing the methods, the techniques by which we access all of that. And that's that's big, you know. That's that's the first thing we got to realize is just how much they're governing that. And then we can go from there to what to do about it. So I monitor a number of different sites, include, including some of them that you write for, uh, The Daily Wire and uh, Newsmax, et cetera. But I also got to make sure that I visit the other side of things, the more liberal side. So I also, every once in a while, poke around at The Daily Beast or The Huffington Post and, and see how they're handling things. And the disparity is incredible. And I really pity people that have all of their input from a single source controlling what they think and what they believe. It's, um, yeah. it's really frustrating. And yeah. many times we don't know what is true. And that is enormously frustrating, not knowing what is new. I'll give you an example. I, I did an article about um, McDonald's kiosks, and there was a story that they were full of all sorts of bad things. A biologist went up and did some swabs of these kiosks where you went up and you ordered your Big Mac and McNuggets. He did it in England. And he discovered that there were all sorts of bad things on it, like a coli and traces of fecal matter and uh, other stuff. And so, you know, this was, this was terrible. And so I wrote a column about it. And then um, I, there, there was another column that came out and said that this guy that made this report was totally wrong. He didn't know what he was talking about, and there was all sorts of, all sorts of bad uh, practices in the way he gathered the data, et cetera, et cetera. So I thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe McDonald's kiosks aren't so bad after all. But then it occurred to me that this counter story could itself be fake, that these big companies that control the media, like you were mentioning, could come in and they could actually plant another story which debunked a true story, and you just don't know what to believe. And today, I don't know, I don't know the deal. I don't know the truth about McDonald's kiosks, but I can tell you, I never use them. <laughs> I, I go up and order. I order nose to nose the way that God meant it to be, mm-hmm. and uh, so it's it's frustrating when you can't filter out the truth and you're being bombarded from all these sides by all of these different. Uh, perspectives. Yeah. Yeah. That's where you need to rely on the critical thinking skills you were supposed to be educated in, uh, in school. Um, you know, folks our age, uh, would, would certainly have some of that today. I'm, I'm a little worried about uh, the amount of critical thinking being taught in schools, but the best way to get through fake news and wondering what is true and what isn't is, you know, evaluating, looking at, looking at multiple sources and seeing what comes out of that? You know, just evaluating uh, left, right, middle, and see who's corroborating what, and just you know, really apply your own critical thinking to get to uh, what you would consider is the truth. But yeah, those kiosks—I've thought about them, but from a different perspective. You know, the 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 taking away of the human uh, interaction. Uh, of course, there's germs and there's there's all all sorts of yuckies on on the screen that multiple people would use. But to me, that's the secondary reason not to use it. The first reason is I'm not looking at a human. You know, I'm not making a connection with another human being. Uh, so that's where I'd go with those kiosks. I have a cousin who's incredibly conservative, and he just gets so upset at some of the things happening. And he will talk for hours about 
why this is bad and why that's bad. And I get to the point where I get tired of listening to it and I tell them, uh, look, <laughs> there's probably not a lot that you can do about this stuff you're complaining about. Mm. So maybe you shouldn't spend your time bathing in that information, which gets you upset if there's nothing you can do about it. Now, there's always something you can do about something, right? But a lot of these things, like at the national level, in order to do something about it, you have to invest yourself totally into the process uh, in order to in order to be effective at all. So is there times when you should just stay away and fast from some of these different disturbing things? Indeed. And really, the first person that you're trying to, to help is yourself. And a lot yes. of people forget that these days. You know, they run out into the streets and they join these parades and they join these online social media driven uh, mob uh, processes and they forget that they're trying to help themselves or they should. You know, um, if we don't address the problems with ourselves and get to a better place ourselves, how are we going to help anybody? You know, so yeah, turning it off. That power button really becomes our friend, Bob. You know, the the ability to just turn something off and turn inside and say, "Okay, all right, Andrew, what are what are you thinking here? What are you doing? Are you are you spending your time well? Are you getting caught up in the minutia of daily life? What's the big picture here? You know, you got to give yourself time to to look inside before you can help others. You know, it's like the it's like what they tell you, or they used to. I'm not sure they do it still on airplanes. You know, in case of an emergency, put your own mask on first and then help your children. Yes. You know, uh, that's that's an analogy I like to use sometimes. Okay. So how does big tech influence us through the power of, of technique? We, we touched on it a little bit. It's just this dominance in the media, not only in the media of social media, not only the news, but in the entertainment that we get from Netflix and Hulu and all of these streaming services that have a certain agenda and try to cram it down our throats with their entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, a friend, uh, Doug Smith. He's written a book called Unintentional. Oh, in fact, you did an interview with Doug Smith for Mind Matters News, and we should reference that in the podcast links. Yes, yes. I was able to unpack a few things with him. His book's called Unintentional, How Our Screens Shape Our Desires and What We Can Do to Break Free. And so he takes it all the way to, you know, why these why these people would do it. You know, this is not just for a paycheck. It's not about money. Um, it's, it's, it's about power, but it goes even beyond that, you know, to what what influences us to to do things to other people and the people that have made these screens and these modern gadgets they've studied human psychology they've gotten tips from casinos they know how humans tick they know what causes people to come back for more on a regular basis they know what hooks us and they have used these ideas to create this addictive uh, immersive technology and what i'm encouraging people to do is look you got to become a tech boss here. You know, you got to wake up, sleeper. You got to get back to what your vision is, what your purpose is, what you want to do uh, with your life, and just really keep this stuff in check, or it is going to rule you. You know, and you're not going to know which way is up. Okay, so suppose I want to do that, and um, I do want to reset my life. I want to quit worrying about things that there's nothing I can do about them. Uh, I want to quit worrying about things that are in the long run non-consequential. How do we go about resetting our relationship with technology? What, what, are, what, what are the techniques? What are the steps? 
Yeah. So once we've kind of renewed our understanding of technology, you know, we understand that it's about us, it's about our art and skill, and it's what we can do to weave something uh, useful, good, and beautiful in the world. Once we get to that point, then we can, you know, it's time to reset. You know, as I said, that, that staples button, you know, the easy button, you, you start hitting the button. Unfortunately, it doesn't take just a second. You know, this is a, a, the lengthier part of the process. And that, by the way, is, is is your second step. The first one is renew, then there is reset. So you have to hit that reset button, right? Yeah, yeah. And you do that by first addressing the big questions. You know, why am I here? Who or what is responsible for life and the universe? What do I want to do with my time on, on Earth? What is my vision? And what is my purpose in that vision? So you got to start there because if you just start by saying, well, do I need this gadget or that one? That's really not addressing the, the main thing here, which is what do I actually want to do? Not what am I caught up in doing because I'm not thinking and just acting reflexively. No, it's what do I want to do with my life? So address the big questions first. Then you start to survey your gadgets and ask questions about them. And here's an example. Does this technology positively or negatively affect my, and then you can fill that in, my time, my energy, my relationships, my potential, my memory, my attitude, my outlook, my finances, my marriage, my kids. You know, there's a lot you can uh, unpack with that as you start to ask about each gadget. And I'm not just talking about gadgets. I'm talking about platforms, whole tech platforms. I'm talking about subscriptions, and I'm talking about the tech companies themselves. It's all up for grabs as far as what we decide to get rid of and keep. In terms of this resetting, both both you and I are Christians. We're followers of Christ. And one of the things that one needs to do is go to your fundamental ideology in order to choose these steps that you're talking about. What do you believe the Christian should do in such a case? Well, thanks for asking about that, Bob. Um, I you know, was recently rereading uh, Psalm 139 over the Mother's Day period this year, and I, I got to verse 13 and 14, you know, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. And I, I, I started unpacking that, and I got, I got to the Hebrew word sakach, which uh, means to hem in, but it also has this understanding of to weave. And I thought, well, gosh. Oh, there it is. Okay. There it is. That is the same word as technology. So I think it's fair to say that when you're a believer— you are believing in a God of technology, a God that put you together with amazing technology and the ability to then go and create technology of your own. So if you start there, Bob, then you're thinking, well, okay, I can do technology because my maker produced me, created me, wove me together in my mother's womb. So what do I do with that? You know, And then you know, uh, the Bible promises us that that uh, he knows the plans he has for us. Ephesians 2.10, you know, he, he planned good works for us to do in advance. So then you're looking at what you can do, you know, building a vision uh, fueled by God that can inform your purpose. And that's really where you start with the resetting step. And so this is the, this is the third step, if you will, which is to, um, if you will, release our potential. Releasing our potential is the final step in your approach to technology, and that's becoming who we are meant to be. And so could you unpack that a little bit and uh, maybe elaborate on how we do it? It, it? 
in order to follow these steps, you're going to become a much more effective person. You're going to have more impact on the world by doing things that are impactful, that are, that are meaningful than you would if you don't follow them. Absolutely. Yeah, this is not a, you know, a process for getting rid of your gadgets necessarily. You know, that's not really the focus. In the end, these, these tools, these, these tech tools that we have, they're just a means to an end. But if you don't know what the end is, then it doesn't really matter how you use technology. But, but the end is going to be shaped by your ideology. Correct. That's where you're going to start. Yeah. It's how you see the world. It's how you see your uh, place in the world. And it's what you want to do with the time you have. Uh, so after you've surveyed your gadgets and your platforms and all your tech, and then you know made the purge, which is getting rid of, severing ties with, selling anything that isn't going to be useful to you and help you serve your vision and your purpose, then we're into releasing our potential. And to me, it's the most exciting part of it. You know, this is where we practice keeping our tech in check, as I like to say. You know, this is where we apply what we've just applied to our current tech to any future tech. You know, Apple and all these other tech companies, big tech companies, they're, they're never satisfied. They're never, they don't close up shop because there's always something to innovate. There's always a new uh, version of whatever they have out. There's always the next new thing around the corner. And we have to decide how much of that next new we need. You know, how much is enough? I've heard in a, a popular song recently. You know, lately I've, I've been asking, well, what is enough? You know, um, do I have a, a powerful enough computer? You know, is my phone got enough uh, gigabytes of memory and storage? Or am I always going to have to look at the next thing? Um, so that's part of practicing keeping your tech in check. And then I think really just filling, filling in your life with the human adventure, really addressing what it means to be human. Because that, after all, is the natural antidote to dependence on machinery, dependence on technology, dependence on gadgets and subscriptions and big tech. It is living human. Uh, and the, the places that I would encourage you to think about that would be relationships, uh, learning and discovery, you know, producing more than you consume, raising healthy, happy families, being inspired and inspiring others, and then honoring the designer of the universe if you see that there is one that is the designer. You know, these are all parts of the human adventure. So filling your time with those things is going to automatically give you less time to dwell on, you know, the tech gadgets that are taking up our time and attention. You know, I, I have a son that teaches high school from a low-income demographic. And a lot of these kids come in and they spending, they're spending all of their times on Twitter they don't have relationships. They have very difficult parenthood, and they're developing into social misfits. They're, they're not sure how to relate to people. And as a result of this, things materially become very, very important to them, like what kind of tennis shoes they wear, um, you, you know, if anybody is liking them on Facebook and things of that sort. And it's very frustrating because they're very empty. They're not, they're not the sort of people that, um, well, if you look, yeah, they're not the sort of people that God didn't intended them to be. And because they're spending too much time being distracted by this other thing, not realizing that if they did spend this time, they would be fulfilled, they would be more happy, and they would they they, they would lead a much better life. 
Yeah, and this was Alul's fear as he was writing in the mid 20th century. You know, he he saw what was to come. He saw how these techniques would be shaped by technology companies and the state, and you know other factors. He just saw this coming, and I enjoy so much reading his work because you know I can relate it today in a way that he can't, but he saw it. He saw it coming. Yeah, I think Marshall McLuhan did also with his idea that you know we're kind of fish and we don't know the water. Uh, mm-hmm. He made a famous statement. He says, "I don't know who discovered water, but I'm sure it wasn't a fish." <laughs> so you're just you're, you're swimming around in all of this stuff and all of this technology. And, um, it, you know, it isn't, it isn't healthy, especially because you're being steered by these big tech companies. You're no longer in control yourself. And I think the point that you're making, Andrew, is that we need to get back in the driver's seat and take control of our lives and not hand them over to these big tech companies and to high technology. Right. Yeah. I think we are now at the point where we can all realize that we can't trust companies with different values and different visions than us to dictate the best methods for us uh, in life. You know, I just think that's that's a foolish thing to do uh, and to continue to allow yourself to do. So, you know, that's sort of where I'm coming from with this um, authentic technology approach. It's helping people to wake up to this, helping them to uh, understand what technology really means and who it's really about. And then, like you said, having them take the steering wheel. So when's your book coming out? Well, I wish I could tell you, Bob, but, but all these ideas <laughs> okay. are swirling and everyone around me is writing books in Discovery Institute. And I really want to, to put some of these ideas together and put it out as a book just to help people in that way. So I'm looking forward to it. Well, I hope you do. Um, we're going to put a link to your talk. You sent me a link to one of your talks that I listened to. It's about an hour long. And I think it summarizes some of the some of the points that you've made in here. However, this interview and this podcast is much better than your talk. <laughs> Sorry, I had go. to put a little a little plug in there. So um, this has been a blast. Our, our guest today has been Andrew McDermott. He is a senior fellow and media specialist at the Discovery Institute. And so, until next time, be of good cheer. This has been Mind Matters News with your host, Robert J. Marks. Explore more at mindmatters.ai. That's mindmatters.ai. Mind Matters News is directed and edited by Austin Egbert. The opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the speakers. Mind Matters News is produced and copyrighted by the Walter Bradley Center for Natural and Artificial Intelligence at Discovery Institute.